chapters. So how many of you guys read along with the church-wide Bible reading plan this week? Yeah? You guys, you guys like Mark? Yeah? Mark? I like Mark. Um, I mean, I like all of the Bible, not just, not just Mark, but I, uh, whatever book I'm in at the time, that's my favorite that's my favorite book, and so it's Mark right now. And um, you know, it's amazing to me. It just, I've been walking with Jesus, trying to follow Him um, now intensely for almost 20 years, and I've read Mark several times. Uh, but it's just amazing to me the Word of God, just that it's true what it says about itself, that it's living and active, and sharper than any double-edged sword. Because you do every time you come to it, uh, it's always fresh. And there's always more stuff that, uh, that you see that uh, you haven't seen before. And that was the same way with me this past week in these, in these chapters of Mark. I, I was planning on, and I, I think I'll do this as we go forward, but it's really kind of up to the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit is what I'm trying to ultimately follow. But I was, I was planning on just kind of picking a passage, just one kind of section out of the chapters that we read. But I just didn't feel like that's what we were supposed to do this morning. I, I want to just kind of do a flyover of these five chapters and kind of give um, the big idea of what's going on because uh, Mark is a, uh, is a big picture guy. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but something technical here as we jump into it. But in the first five chapters, there's a word that is repeated 20 times and it's repeated nine times just in the first chapter alone. Do you know what it is? Immediately, who said that? Oh, very good, very good. Yes, it's the word immediately. And so nine times the word immediately is in the first chapter, then 20 times in the first five chapters, then a total of 40 times throughout the entire book of Mark. And so when you read Mark, it's these little things that, um, these little liter literary devices that the, each one of the individual writers um, of the Bible put in there. Um, and again, it's all inspired, but there's a literary aspect to it. And when Mark reads it, he's like, there's a pace to it. Immediately, 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 immediately. And it's kind of drawing you forward. The word literally in the Greek is the word for straight or straight away. And it's that idea of just like, boom, Mark has somewhere that he's going. And uh, just a little um, spoiler alert, where he's going is ultimately is the cross. Because Mark spends almost half of his gospel talking about the last two weeks of Jesus' ministry. When he's going uh, and when he ultimately goes, goes to the cross. Um, but he has this place that he wants to get to, and the place that he wants to get to is the cross. But in the first part of Christ's ministry, as we've read here in these, in these first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark, what's helpful about it is that Mark is giving us the big picture of what's going on. How many of you are detail people, and how many of you are big picture people? How many detail people? Like you, like, you like the details. This is where, like among uh, our elder team, uh, I'm thankful for Conrad, because Conrad is a detail guy. Because if we had to meet over here this morning and we wouldn't have Conrad, I'd be like, hey, everybody, we're meeting uh, in the Encore, you know, in a couple weeks, so show up. But there would have been no chairs set up, the screen wouldn't be set up, the, there would have been no words with the PowerPoint or whatever, but Conrad is a details guy. I tend to be a big, a big picture guy, and so Mark kind of resonates with me because he's giving us the big pieces uh, of what we need to know about Christ's life and ministry. And there are details that are specific to Mark that aren't in the other Gospels, but for the most part, he's giving us the big pieces. In fact, most scholars believe that even the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, they probably, they were written later, and they were probably, they probably pulled a lot of their information from the gospel of Mark. Most people think that Mark was one of the first gospels that was ever written. And so I say all that because what I want to look at this morning are some of the big pieces of Jesus' life and ministry, of his ministry model, okay? And here's why that matters is because how many of you would say that Jesus had a successful ministry? Yes? Yeah, like there, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. On the one hand, they crucified him. So 
to the world, there's a sense in which that's not very successful. However, on the other hand, he did accomplish all that the Father gave him to accomplish. And if you're sitting here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it's because he was successful in his ministry that he came to fulfill. Not just his death, burial, and resurrection and what he did at the cross and, and at the empty tomb, but also in the way that he taught disciples, in the way that he uh, uh, presented all that he had to share. Uh, about who the Father was and what he was doing. And so what I want to look at this morning are kind of these big pieces of Jesus' ministry model because here's the deal, is that when we align our lives with the message and the method that Jesus employed, we can also expect to see some of the marks of Jesus' ministry. And here's the marks of Jesus' ministry just in the broadest sense and we'll kind of get down into the weeds in more detail. But here's the thing, is that when people encounter Jesus or when you aligned yourself with his life, you got help, yes? Did you notice all the individual stories in here this past week of people like they encountered Jesus and they get help? And Mercy Hill Church, I want this for us so much. In fact, this is probably a thing that over the last couple of months, I've just been feeling the Lord speak to me personally, not just in my own life, but about, about also like where we kind of need to go as a church. And this is the thing, I just want to let you know, and I would invite you to pray this with me, that in 2020, I want God to make us healthy. I want every single person to be healthy. Listen to me, health does not mean sinless perfection. It does not mean mean comfort, ease, and prosperity, but it means healthy. In this life, we are always going to be battling against Satan, sin, the devil, uh, the, the world and its temptations. Until Jesus comes back to get us or we go home to glory, we are always going to be in a fight. But just because that's true does not mean that we cannot be healthy. God desires health for his people, and obviously, I'm not just talking about physical health. Okay? Many times God will use physical ailments or, or physical sickness in some way to, uh, to get to what he really wants to get to, which is for us to have healthy souls, hearts that are fully devoted to him, on fire for him, continually worshiping him. That's what we were created to do. That's what it looks like to be healthy. And so what I want to look at this morning is just simply this, the ministry model of Jesus and break it down into a couple parts, his message, his method, but then also looking at the marks, and, and again, the marks, the big idea is that like, people get help, but I want to look at that um, in more detail. Uh, because guys, I want you to be healthy. I want me to be healthy. But, and again, it's, it's different now because Jesus isn't here physically, but he said it was actually better that he goes because he was going to send the Holy Spirit. But we are now his body. And when people come in contact with us, they should be able to get help. Amen? It's what he intends. It's not us. It's all him. He's the head. There's one head. It's Jesus. It's not me. It's no pastor, no preacher. There's one head. It's Jesus. All the rest of us are part of the body. But when people come in contact with his body, they should get help. And I'm believing and praying that um, over the course of this next year, I mean, it's going to be forever, but over the course of this next year especially, God's going to take us there. God's going to take us there. Okay? So, first of all, I want to look at as we look at the ministry model of Jesus, first of all, I want to look at his message. I want to look at the message that he came to proclaim. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, okay? <clears throat> it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. So gospel means good news. He's proclaiming the gospel. And then here, here's what he said, saying, The time is fulfilled 
So in other words, there's something that's happening now that had not happened before. And what that is, is that God was coming into the world. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or it's, it's the idea that the kingdom of God has come near. Why has the kingdom of God come near? Because the king came near. Jesus is the king. And here he is. He, the light had not stepped down into darkness in this way. The incarnation, this is why we just got done celebrating this at Christmas. And it drives me nuts because, you know, all this deep theological weighty truth that will absolutely radically change your life gets lost in all of the trappings and sentimentality of Christmas. But this is what we were supposed to be celebrating. That the light stepped down into the darkness. That God, Almighty God, who, existed, who had existed in all of eternity past, God the Son, put on flesh to come and show us the Father so that we might know him. But here's the good news. The time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Here's the good news. Is that God has a kingdom. God has a kingdom. And it's coming. It's coming. You can't stop it whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter. It's coming. And that's good news because, again, if you remember, we, we spent a lot of time on this a couple years ago. For those of you that have been in Mercy Hill for a while, we went, we took two years, probably a little too long. I think everybody was, you know, their eyes were glazed over, maybe by the end. I, I hope not. But we went, took two years to go through the Gospel of Luke. We called that series the Upside Down Kingdom. And again, we, we said that when we went through that, that, that the characteristics of the kingdom are built upon the character of the king. That the reason it's good news that the kingdom of God has come near is because our king is good and he loves us. And where he rules and reigns, there is life and there is goodness and there is wholeness and there is healing and there is worship. All that we were, that we were intended to do. And so I, I say this because I want to compare it to a couple other of messages and I would even go so far as to say not necessarily always call them all false gospels, although I believe some of them are, but but I would call them reductionistic gospels, not the whole gospel that's preached today. And Aaron, if you can put that, that one uh, slide up there, that one grid. I wanted, this is um, a guy named Bill Hull put this together. I think this is very helpful because I think it's very accurate, okay? And I just, there's a lot of time that we could spend on this. I just want to spend a little bit, a little bit of time on it. I need to mute my own cell phone. It just went off in my pocket, sorry. Quit texting me. Somebody's texting me. I'm, I'm busy, okay? Um, but, uh, uh, but what we want to get to at the end is, is the gospel of the kingdom, which I believe Jesus preached. But it's helpful to see these things alongside of each other because many of us have grown up with, and again, we were sincere in it, and it's not that it's totally wrong or that they're all false, but it's not the whole of it, okay? So first of all, you have this forgiveness-only gospel. I grew up with this. You, you pray a prayer because, you know, when you're six years old, how many of you would like to go to hell? Anybody? No, like, no, no, thank you. Do you want to be in heaven with mom or dad? Or would you, do you want to go to hell? No, no, not hell, please. And so we pray, and this is as sincere as a six-year-old can pray. Yeah, like you, you give, you give God your heart. You ask Jesus into your heart, but here's what we do. We don't actually give him our life. We give him our afterlife. We want that get out of hell free card. And so we look back at this time, and, and I know many people that live here, and here, I'm not knocking you, but I want to help you this morning, is that many people, in order to find security in their salvation, they look back to a moment 20 years ago when they prayed a prayer that they would please not have to go to hell. Now listen, listen, listen. Again, I'm not saying it's totally wrong, but it's super reductionistic. 
is that Jesus, he absolutely came to die to save us from hell. Amen. Like, I still don't want to go. I'm not six anymore. Like, he came to save us from that, but even more than that. He doesn't just want your afterlife, he wants your life right now. And see, and here's the deal, here's another little quote, and this is also from a guy, Bill Hull, that put this together, man. This is just, if you get this down into your heart and adopt it to your life uh, forever, it'll, it'll change your life. But here's the deal, is that the gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make. Let me say it again. The gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make. As you look at the landscape of American Christianity, the type of disciples that we have are people that are not on fire for Jesus, that don't want to sing to Jesus, that don't want to worship Jesus, but they're sure glad that they're getting out of hell. The gospel that we've preached has determined the disciples that we've made. Are you following me? And so you have churches across America that this is what they're filled with. People that have given God their afterlife, but that's not the message of the kingdom. Okay? And again, we spend a lot of time on that. The gospel of, of, of the left, this is, or, and by left he means more like, like liberal. Again, not all wrong. And the message is, we're just supposed to help the needy. Did Jesus help the needy? Yeah, amen, absolutely. We want to do that. We're going to go over, this isn't all that the partnership dinner is going to be in a couple weeks, and if you're a partner of Mercy Hill, I hope you sign up and come to this, but we want to talk about, like, at the partnership dinner, like, how much money you guys have given this year to help those that are in need. Like, it's awesome, and it's not something that we're bragging about, but it's something like, I want you to be encouraged by what we're doing collectively and the people that we're helping. We want to help the needy, but here's the deal. Uh, people can go to hell on a full stomach. See, so now you've got the ditch on the other side of the road where it's like, you know, we can meet all these needs and we want to do that, but ultimately we want to preach to them an eternal gospel that's all about giving Jesus not just our afterlife, but also our life now, all of it. And so we tend to accommodate to the culture. Truth is optional. This is also, well, you know, that's what you believe. And again, really this is the ditch on the opposite side of the road from the forgiveness only gospel because it's all about meeting needs now and, you know, eternity. Well, I think we're all gonna get there. We're all gonna kind of get to heaven. No, not true at all. There is heaven and there is hell. Um, next the prosperity gospel um, and again this comes in uh, varying degrees of potency in our, in, in our culture but essentially what you do here is you just claim your rights because the Bible does talk a lot about faith and we want to believe I mean, we're going to see that even today and so it's you know there's a little bit of truth in there but what this ends up doing is that it, it, it's like we end up kind of controlling God at the heart of the prosperity gospel is this message that if you just have enough faith that you end up being sovereign and that God exists to do your bidding that he becomes a genie in a bottle, and it's not true. Does he want us to believe him? Does he want us to trust him? Absolutely. But he alone is sovereign. Amen? He alone is sovereign. For him to be sovereign means that nobody else is. Okay? That would be a contradiction in terms. There's only one sovereign, and it is not us. Next, the consumer gospel, also very popular. Very popular. Many of us have gobbled this. Okay? Is that... God exists to meet your needs. Uh, sure. So I'll give you one, I've harped on this before, but um, uh, purpose. That it's all about God giving you purpose. God will give you purpose, okay? When you come to know your creator, the one who made you, yes, you absolutely, like, purpose is, is, is a byproduct of that. But it's not about your purpose. It's about him. It's about his purposes. It's about his kingdom, and your purpose is not so that everybody can just be in awe of your purpose. Your purpose exists for his honor and for his glory. 
So if you want to embrace your purpose, then you also need to embrace this. It's not about you. But see how we've warped it? We've made it God's all, God exists to give me purpose so that I can be fulfilled. You will be fulfilled in knowing the lover of your soul. You will be fulfilled in knowing almighty God who created you and who holds your very breath uh, in his hand. And so what we have is, again, the gospel that we preach creates, determines the disciples that we've made. But, but we've preached this gospel that, man, God, just come to him because he'll give you purpose. No, come to him because you need to repent because you've embraced other kingdoms other than his. See, if I can just get back to the text here for just a second. That's what he says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is, that is the, the, essentially the good news. That's what God is doing. But here's another part of the good news, the back side of it or the other side of the coin, is that it's also good news in the way that we get to respond. Is that all he asks of us is that we would repent, that we would turn, and that we would believe in what he says. Okay, and so we, have, we want to repent and turn towards him and towards embracing his kingdom because all of us have really by nature uh, just naturally received the kingdom of self and not the kingdom of God. Uh, lastly, back to the chart there, Aaron. Uh, the, the gospel of the right, and this is essentially uh, also very popular, we should be familiar with this, um, that uh, uh, Jesus was a conservative Republican. I won't spend much time here because I want to make it home alive today, but... Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like just, just be right, morally right. Does Jesus want us to live morally right lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but what tends to happen here is that I like the way he puts this because I couldn't put it any better. That's the term I would use. Theological swagger. That we think that we've, we've got it all together and so we tend to kind of live in our ivory towers of theology and heady words while not living a life of incarnation like Jesus did where we exist among people that are needy and hurting, okay? And we tend to be a little bit detached from what's really going on. And lastly, partly cut off here, and this is what I would subscribe to you, and this is what I or prescribe to you, and this is what I'm seeing here, um, not just here in Mark, but all throughout uh, the New Testament and the Bible, is this idea of this, of this gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus' call, as we'll see here in just a second, it's, here's the message, follow me. Not just today, not right now in this moment, not just right now as you pray a prayer, but follow me with all your life. Every moment of every day is mine. Follow me. And the king will lead you into his kingdom. The king will lead you into the ways of his kingdom. And this should make us, and by activists here, it doesn't just mean like political activists, but like it, it should make us intentional that now all of our lives are centered around this king and his kingdom and his agenda, what he came to do, okay? And followers that are intent on learning to live as Jesus lived. That's what, that's what it's all about. And this is the message that Jesus came came to bring but the gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make and I and I'll, I'll maybe come back to this at the end but guys I just want to say I, like just please I'm not please um I'm, I'm not trying to just I'm not trying to be mean-spirited in any way if you've believed one of those other gospels but I really find this helpful because listen at different times in my life like I told you like when I was a little kid I probably I believe the forgiveness only gospel and man, listen, I'm still, I'm so thankful. Not that Jesus did forgive my sins, but he continues to forgive my sins. 
okay? But it's, but it's, not, it's not just that. But repentance starts first in what we believe. And many of us have, have believed something that is either not true or at best is super reductionistic. That it's not the whole of it. And you need to examine your heart, and this is where only going back to the word of God over and over again is gonna be helpful. But when we look at Jesus' ministry model, the first thing we see is, the, is this message, that he preached a message of the kingdom. Secondly, his method, his method. So he had a message, part of his ministry model, he had a message, but then he also had a method. Here was his method, discipleship. Discipleship. Discipleship is truth coming through relationship for the goal of submitting every area of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So you see that, again, Mark, just being a big picture guy and, you know, just get, giving us the, the, the big pieces of what Jesus came to do, and pre, to do and accomplish, he starts here by talking about this message that Jesus is proclaiming, then immediately, right after that little synopsis of the gospel of the kingdom that he preaches, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And, you know, you probably, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard these verses. It's like the classic call to discipleship. I love it. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men follow me follow me and I will make you fishers of men and here's the thing that I want us to get and I'll show you a few other places in these first five first five chapters where you see this is that you cannot separate being called to Jesus being called to himself and being called to his mission you cannot separate them and again, this is where you, I don't, I don't want to go back to the chart, we don't have time, but you can totally see how this fits in with our consumeristic gospel or our, our forgiveness only gospel. It's like, yes, I want Jesus, but his mission, like, well, that's, you know, is that optional? Like, I'd, I'd like this meal without, without that, you know? Can you remove the peas or the green beans, please, from the salad, amen? Um, beca- no! You see it here? Look at it again. Follow me. You're called to himself, but immediately, in the same breath, follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. You are his son. You are his daughter. He cares for you, but he also cares about his mission, which is to make other people sons and daughters. And the way by which he's going to do that is through you, and it's not optional. It's not a la carte. To be called to him is to be called to his mission. If you look uh, over in chapter 3, now this is just calling of the disciples because this is for everybody. Over, we, we talk about the 12 disciples many times. More accurately, it would be the 12 apostles. Okay, everybody's called to be a disciple. A few were called to be apostles. But over in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, when he calls the, the 12, okay, he says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Listen, same thing, so that they might be with him. You're called to himself. I'm not jumping over a relationship. He wants a relationship with you. That's good, but you see the same thing in the same breath. So that they might be with him, and he might also send them out to preach. To be called to him is to be called to his mission. Mercy Hill Church, we've got to own this. And again, I want to go back here because many of you might feel like, I didn't. This wasn't told me. I don't even think it was in the fine print somewhere. Listen, I'm sorry. Many of us have had a reductionistic gospel told to us. And that's what we've gobbled down. But here's the deal. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. 
And if you've been given something else, then you need to deal with it. Same as I do. This is why I tell you all the time, I'm not, it's not just for pastors or people in full-time ministry or missionaries or people that are called to go overseas. Jesus owns your life. He owns it. Some of us acknowledge it and some don't, but whether, it doesn't matter. He owns it. And to be called to him is to be called to his mission. And yes, I know that the majority are probably not going to be sent over, you know, overseas or, or to the other side of the world, but I think some will. But if he calls you to go to work every day in, in, at Provia or at Kime Lumber or whatever, you exist for him first. You are a disciple maker first. You are a proclaimer of the kingdom first. That's what it means to be, to be called to his mission. And again, with many of those, uh, those other gospels, again, the, the gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make. What's happened is, is we have viewed conversion and salvation and then baptism, we have viewed that as the finish line rather than the starting line. Does this make sense? Hear me, there is an actual moment of salvation there is a moment where maybe you pray a prayer or you walk an aisle or you, you know, sign a card or whatever. Like, that's, that's fine. But that's not the finish line. That's the starting line. When you come to know Jesus, you entered a race. And again, because we've been told a false or reductionistic gospel, many of us have stepped over that. We've been baptized and we're like, okay, this is cool, I guess. That's it. And here's why it's good news that, it's, that conversion and baptism are just the starting line, not the finish line. Because listen, guys, you will never, ever, 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 ever have more joy than when you are following Jesus and living on his mission. What he desires for his children is joy. And not just a little bit. Not just a little bit. So many Christians are grumpy. They won't admit that they're grumpy, but they need to tell their face that they're not grumpy. My wife's been on me, and by, by the way, I shouldn't, well, never mind. My wife has been telling me how much I need to smile more. She's like, you're so intimidating when you just stand there. Like, you know, so if you see me just standing around going like this, I'm trying to just repent. Like, I'm like, okay, sweetie. Um, anyway, but you guys, God has joy. <laughs> He has joy in store for you. And just one more thing, real, real quickly, we gotta keep, keep rolling here, but, but do you see how, I want, look, look at chapter two, starting in verse 13. I just want you to see how easy mission is, okay? And we could, I should, uh, so much I wanna talk about, but we could do a whole sermon on this, but look, look at the call to discipleship of Levi, or Matthew, the tax collector, okay? Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, same thing he told the guys that were fishing, follow me. That's the message. And he rose and he followed him. They had to leave where they were. Had to leave their nets, had to leave the tax booth. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to leave whatever it is that he's asking you to leave. And then verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, and, and Luke fills in some details for us here. I told you Mark's a big picture guy. But Luke fills in details is that, that uh, Levi threw him this party. 
Guys, this is how easy it is to live on mission. Jesus comes into your life, and so those that are already connected with your life, you introduce them to Jesus. That's it. <laughs> it's not any more complicated than that. In the end, we so overthink mission. We so overthink what it, what it takes to, to make disciples. Open up your heart, open up your life, open up your home, invite Jesus in, and then invite others in and introduce them to Jesus. And then they also need to each make the choice. Am I gonna follow him or am I gonna stay where I'm at? Am I gonna receive his kingdom or am I gonna stay in my own kingdom? But that's how easy it is to live on mission. So his message was that of the kingdom. The message that we preach, again, this gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make. It will lead to us making disciples, being called to both himself and to his mission. And then lastly here, his, his ministry model is that, or just the mark or the markers of when we, engage, when we embrace both the message and the method is what I said at the beginning. People get help. People get help. You, you have so many verses. So, so Mark chapter 1, verses 32 and 34. This is just a summary. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Um, you have, the, again, just all these stories in chapter 1. You have the first, you know, he calls Peter and Andrew, and he goes to uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And he heals her from a fever. And then you have this story of the leper. And he heals him. And then you have the story of the paralytic. And he heals him. You have the, the demon-possessed Gadarenes guy in chapter 5. He goes, uh, acts, has to get in a boat, go across the lake, through a storm to get to him. And he gets to him. And then he has to turn around and come right back because the people of the land don't want him there. But he gives that guy help. You have the story of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. After that, uh, you know, whose, whose daughter is sick and she ends up passing away and Jesus raises her up. You have the woman with the issue of blood. You have the man with the withered hand. Is that when people come in contact with Jesus, they get help and they get healing. And here's what I want to press on this morning and be very specific, okay? Number one, I totally, I want, to, I want you to know this. At Mercy Hill Church, we completely believe in every spiritual gift and we believe in uh, all the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that God was just doing some things for some times and now he's not doing things today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So is the Father, so is the Holy Spirit, okay? God can do everything, but I wanna say something, okay? We, I, in the end, all these people that got healed, the specific stories of people that we see, as well as the, the just, you know, back there in chapter one, verses 32 through 34, just the many that are talked about where we don't know the specifics. Let me tell you something. All those people died, right? They still died. And so I'm all for physical healing. We, be we believe in physical, we, we pray for people to be healed. But what I want to point out is, and I just want to take a little time to show you very quickly, that is in almost all of the specific passages or, or encounters that we have with people uh, that we're, we have more detail about how they got healed, is that Jesus was after so much more than just their physical healing. He was after the healing of their soul. He was after something so much deeper. Let me just, and I, man, we can spend so much time on this. We don't have a lot of time. Let me go quickly. First of all, with the leper. He comes to Jesus, and again, there's a couple of chapters in Leviticus. I want to say it's around chapter 17 or so. Two whole chapters in the inspired word of God in the book of Leviticus that are just dedicated to how lepers had to uh, carry themselves in society. 
And the synopsis of it is this, is that if you were a leper because it was contagious, you couldn't make, and you were both ceremonially unclean and obviously just physically uh, from a health perspective sick. And you had to walk around your whole life going like this, unclean, 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 so that people would know that you're coming so that they could get away. So here comes this guy, probably from, from a distance. Jesus, help me. And then it, you know, it seems like, sounds like he comes up and he falls before him. And Jesus could have said, yeah, dude, like, you're, you're, you're healed. But that's not how he heals him. How's he healing? He touches him. Which back in that day would have been, typically, if you're not Jesus, for you to touch somebody who's unclean means that you become unclean too. But see, Jesus came to reverse the curse, guys. Where our sin before, before the good news of the kingdom, where the, the king came down into this, this other dark kingdom, it was if you were clean, that uncleanness was like toxic. Like if you tried to help the unclean person, you yourself became unclean. And the uncleanness just spread. But here comes the king. And now the curse is going backwards. And so Jesus here isn't just concerned about his leprosy. He's concerned about his isolation. He's concerned about his loneliness. And so he reaches out and he heals him with a touch. The paralytic, <laughs> what's the first thing he says in, in Mark chapter two? Does he say, get up, take up your mat and walk? That's not the first way he does it. What's he say first? Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus wasn't just concerned about his physical ailment, although he took care of that too. He's concerned about having him know that your sins are forgiven. He wanted him to know that now he was, he was right before God. And so again, the forgiveness on the gospel, it's not that it's wrong, but it's reductionistic. It's not the whole of it, but because Jesus is concerned about forgiveness of sins. But Jesus isn't just concerned about the fact that he's paralyzed. He wants him to know that he can have joy now in the presence of God, that he can come to the Father because he's, Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Jesus isn't just concerned about his physical ailment. He's concerned about, about his soul. You have the woman with the issue of blood at the end of Mark chapter, towards the end of Mark chapter five. And again, this is sandwiched in between another, another story here of him going to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. But this woman comes up and, and she's so desperate. She's had this issue of bleeding for 12 years. And it says that she's spent all that she has, you know, on the doctors and all the other wisdom of the day, but it wasn't doing any good. I mean, I know so many people that, you know, live there and she just comes up and she's like, man, if I can just touch the hem of his garment and there's a crowd turning around, but her touch was unlike any other touch because she had faith and she just touched the hem of his garment and she knows instantly that he's healed and Jesus knows it too. And so he turns around and he says, you know, who's, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everybody's touching you. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, no, 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 this touch was different. And she's healed and what does he say to her? He's not just concerned with her physical healing. He turns to her and he makes her come out in front of everybody and she's trembling, she's afraid because again, having an issue like this, you were ceremonially unclean and so she should have known that she shouldn't have been touching other people because they themselves would have been unclean but this is Jesus we're talking about. Makes her clean and so anyway, but she comes out with fear and trembling, verse 33 and then verse 34, what's he say to her? Daughter. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your disease. She was healed, but Jesus wanted her to know that she's a child of God. Not just concerned with her physical healing, concerned about the state of her soul. And can you imagine just for a second here how that woman would have lived? Like, I mean, have you ever thought about that? Like, you, 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 know, you know, you try to like steal a miracle. 
it's kind of a weird, she's like, I'm just going to sneak up. Oh, I'm good. And I'm taking off. And like, like how, I'm surely like maybe she would have felt guilty about that later on. Like, ah, I'm glad I'm healed. But you know, like I stole it, you know, it was sneaky. She's like, no, 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 you don't have to sneak. <laughs> come, come to me. Hey, I just want to let you know you're God's daughter. You're his child. He loves you. That's what Jesus does. For Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and again, it's not apples to apples, but I was thinking about this this past week. He was kind of like, it's not apples to apples, but he, he was kind of like, he would have kind of been like a pastor or a preacher. He's a synagogue ruler. You know, and we pastors and preachers, we're always supposed to have it all together. We're always supposed to have it all together. And here his little daughter's sick now. And he's scared. And I'll tell you what, no matter what your theology or how much you've studied, when somebody that you love gets really sick, things start breaking down, you can, your theology can go out the window real quick, right? Because doubt sneaks in. I'm not saying that that should, but I'm saying that's a reality. And so, man, this, this, this guy's desperate, and, you know, he's probably like, man, I've got to hold this all together, and I shouldn't be shaking like this. And, you know, but he's desperate. He doesn't care. He loves his little girl. And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is on his way there. And then, of course, this woman comes in, and she gets healed. And then, because that takes a little extra time, now some people come, and they, they stop Jesus, and they stop Jairus, and they say, hey, don't trouble she, she passed away. She's dead. And if I'm Jairus, I'm going, oh, man, I'm too late. I'm too late. What does Jesus say? I love this. Like, if you hear that, like, this is so awesome. Verse 36, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. See, he didn't want to just heal Jairus' daughter. He wanted to confront the fear in Jairus' soul. The fear that, man, as a a synagogue ruler, I better better hold this all together, and I better put on a good front, and I better say the right things. Even when I'm going through a hard time and my daughter's sick and and passing away, I better better be a good example to the people. Jesus said, no, no, you you don't have to be afraid. Just believe. And for so many of us this morning, guys, I think, if I had some, I, I think... Like if you, if you need healing in your own soul, because listen, I want us, like I said earlier, I want us as Christ's body to be a place where people can come and when they come in contact with us, just like the woman did where she just touches the hem of his garment, us is, that they get help, that they get healing. But guys, it starts with this. Don't be afraid, just believe. And, I, and here's what I want. I want you this morning to believe that whatever you need healed of in your soul, that our God is so good that, guys, he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. I'll be honest with you. Physical healings, I don't always know. I don't always know. I broke my neck, and it stunk. <laughs> and I was praying like crazy that I wouldn't have to have surgery and that ever, you know, and God has, I mean, really, I mean, he's, I'm here and i I'm healed, God, God's good, but it's, you know, it was through a lot of pain, but he used that pain. And the physical pain, or the physical ailment that you're, listen, I, we will pray for you. We believe in James chapter five that if you're sick, you can call the elders and we'll anoint you with oil, we'll pray for you. And we're just gonna trust God to do, do what he does. Then it's in the Lord's hands. But I don't always know about physical healings, but I do know this, the Lord wants your soul to be healthy. 
Not sinless and perfect, that's glorification. That's when he comes back. That's when we see him, John, 1 John chapter 3, when we see him, we will be like him in an instant because his presence will be full on among us and we can't not be healed in his presence like that. But I want you to believe that in 2020 that God is willing to heal some things in your soul that maybe have sat there for a long time and I'll show you how he wants to do it. And worship team, you can come up and we'll close here. Um, I should just keep going because I have an excuse. There's no clock in the back, so I have no idea what time it is. But, <coughs> but I will try to wrap it up here. Is there's one other story of healing. And you see this. It's not, what I'm going to share here is not specific to this story because you see this in all of them. You see it in the woman. You see it in Jairus, how God had to call out some things in them. But the man with the withered hand, the man with the withered hand. This was so powerful to me in prayer on Thursday morning at our prayer time. We were kind of praying around this passage. It just kept coming up. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share it this morning. I just want to read it. Mark chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent because they know the answer. And he looked around at them, the religious folks, the religious folks. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart because they thought, God, God, God wouldn't do something like this. God wouldn't heal on the Sabbath. This is a holy day. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so here's this, this guy that probably, I don't know what this was, this withered hand that he was probably maybe a little bit ashamed of. Again, maybe he would try to kind of keep it hidden. He didn't maybe want people to see. Maybe it was even a little bit grotesque to just look at physically. But Jesus calls, it, calls him out in front of all the religious folks. And he says, no, 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 bring that here. Bring that here. You don't have to be embarrassed about this. Stretch that thing out. But he's got to take that which he would keep concealed, that which he wanted to hide, that which he didn't want anybody to know about, that which the religious folks said he, was, he probably had because he was cursed, because there was something wrong with him, that God didn't love him quite enough. And Jesus says, no, 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 bring it here. And he has to stretch it out. He has to bring it out. And what I want to share is just simply, guys, that I, I just feel like there's stuff in our souls individually that we're doing our best to keep hidden. And we don't want anybody to see. But here's the deal, guys. Jesus already sees it. He knows about it. And he does not want you to live in shame or in fear of being found out or in any sort of condemnation. But here's what you have to do. And this is what he does with each and every one of us. He did it, and again, with all these other examples that I shared. He says, come here. Come here. Bring it out. Bring it out into the open. Listen, and as he does that, Jesus heals it. And man, I'm praying for us in 2020 that we be healthy, myself included. And as guys, as transparent as I can, and guys, there are plenty of things, I want you to know this, in your pastor's soul that Jesus still needs to heal. And I'm not ashamed about that because there's only one Savior, and it's not me, it's Jesus. But here's the deal, I, I don't want you to be ashamed either. And if there's stuff in your soul 
whether it's fear or sin or addiction or condemnation that you just can't get over, Jesus sees it and he cares about it. And I promise you, I'm claiming this scripture for this year in 2020, that as we bring it out into the open, he's gonna take care of it. Amen? Can we believe him for that? Because I'll tell you what, guys, he's good. He's good. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same Jesus that we see here in the pages of Scripture that we long to be present among us. Guys, he is present among us in the presence of his Holy Spirit. Let's be healed. Let's be healed this year. Amen? Father, I, that's my prayer. That you'd heal us. Lord, I pray that you would align our lives. I pray that, at, that as we align our lives with your message of the kingdom and with your method of discipleship, and as we bring out into the open anything of which we are ashamed, that you would heal us. That we would be able to be effective and bring healing, not just in us, but through us for the sake of your mission, for the sake of your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys stand with me. Guys, as we, as we you know, sing here, um, we're not doing communion today, uh, but I just want to let you